Alonso will cross the line to become Formula One world champion. The biggest thing was to fight with Michael. Honestly, 2005, it was fantastic because we were racing against the legend. Alonso side by side with Lewis Hamilton and Alonso pushes his way past. If you want to beat Lewis, you need to perform at your best. I'm really looking forward to the third championship and I will do what is in my hands and even more, you know, in the next coming years. It will mean a lot in, in terms of maybe a legacy. Welcome everyone to Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. This week, we have a bona fide Formula One legend on the show. He's a double world champion with 32 wins to his name, and he's raced and beaten the best of his generation. The man I'm talking about is, of course, Fernando Alonso. Fernando returned to Formula One this season after two years away, and his third place in Qatar provided yet more proof that he's lost none of his pace or cunning behind the wheel. He was brilliant at La Salle, and it was a joy to see him back on the podium, back where he belongs, you could say. Over the last 20 years, Fernando's experienced the highest of highs, as well as some pretty deep lows. But one thing that's remained consistent throughout is his passion for the sport. Fernando loves racing, and he loves Formula One. We spoke pre-race in Qatar, where his schedule was chock-a-block. But even in the thick of a busy race weekend, he's ferociously intelligent and thought-provoking. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Fernando, it's great to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm ready for this uh, interview podcast. Well, look, you've just got off a 14-hour flight from Sao Paulo. And I want to ask first, what do you get up to when you're locked on a plane for that long? Uh, sleep. You, know, I'm, you I'm didn't sleep for 14 hours. Not 14, but uh, probably 9 or 10. So it became a, like a normal flight, three or four hours flight. Um, yeah, watch movies, listen music. So very normal stuff on a plane. Do you, do you switch off or are you still thinking about car setup and what's to come on the racetrack? Uh, it depends. It depends. There are some times that you're still uh, thinking on the on the previous race or, or the next race. Uh, other times you are just switching off from, from motor racing. I was thinking maybe you're perfecting a few of your card tricks. Not, not uh, I think it has been maybe six or seven years that this, uh, I'm not practicing anymore. So Why not? I don't know. It's on a standby, that, that project. And, <laughs> and how do you learn the new tricks? Do you just do it on YouTube or have you got some magician, who, <laughs> a pet yeah. magician who teaches you? No, normally uh, I learn on, on the books that I have from uh, at home um, and I have yeah sometimes you meet some some friends or some magicians and uh, they teach you something or they give you the the newest book or a CD or not CD maybe now a pen drive or whatever and uh, <laughs> showing and, you right <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they they show you you know different things and in a different way right and what about jet lag I find as I get older it affects me worse yeah, same same to me 
<laughs> since we've arrived in Qatar, I've, my sleep pattern's been all over the place. How about you? Yeah, same for me. I think that, that that's one of the things that did change in, in my career. When I was younger, uh, I could sleep in, in any country, in any time. Jet lag was not, not a problem. And now it's not a big thing, but I, I feel that I, I need more days to get used to, the, to a new time zone. And how does that affect your performance in the car? Not much. I have to say that uh, when you are in the car, there are no limitations on, on the physical aspect or, um, you know, it seems like your body is, is switching on and the adrenaline is so high, the focus is so high that you, you tend to forget whatever problem you have in that moment, physically or mentally, you know, you completely uh, get uh, absorbed by, by, by the car. So even mentally, that's the case as well. Yeah, because I felt that sometimes I get some some worries on my head, or I have some maybe personal issues or other things that are happening in in the previous days or even that day. And then you you close the visor, you leave the pit lane, and and for that period of time, you completely forget about anything that uh, happened un until that moment. So look, this season, um, how much have you enjoyed being back? in Formula One? Very much, yeah, I did enjoy a lot because uh, I think I came with a, with a fresh mindset. I was uh, happy to come back. I felt privileged to come back. Uh, it's not that the previous years I didn't feel that way, but uh, I was more uh, aware, you know, after the two years out about uh, how lucky we are driving these cars only 20 drivers in the world there are many many talented drivers out there that they don't have even the opportunity to drive a formula one uh, in their career and i had the the luxury to choose when to to stop and when to have a break and again the luxury on on when to come back and i had that opportunity so i came with that sense of uh, yeah, uh, I was very grateful, you know, to the sport, to the team, to everyone, and uh, I, I did enjoy every second. Had you fallen out of love with Formula One in 2018? No, no, I think uh, I needed different challenges at that time in, in my career. I was uh, uh, tempted by Le Mans. I did obviously Indy 500 in 2017, one year before I, I stopped. So I had all these challenges in my head about, you know, competing in different categories and, and I don't know, challenge myself against some other top drivers in, in, other, in other disciplines in motorsport and, uh, and yeah, challenge myself if, if I could do well in, 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 different, uh, in different types of motorsport. So I don't know, it was not that I was not in love with Formula One, but uh, I felt that I was losing time in my career in that moment in Formula One because I didn't have the, ch the, the chance to, to fight for wins, to fight for podiums. Uh, but I felt that I have, you know, this, uh, this possibility and, and this uh, appealing challenge, you know, of trying something different. So. I thought that it was the right time in 2018 or even even before that, you know, if I look back to my career, maybe 2015 or 2016 was even better. You, obviously, you don't have the crystal ball and, and you know what is going to happen in 17 or 18. Uh, so you still always uh, hopefully that uh, you get you get a, a chance 
uh, to fight for bigger things. But uh, I don't know. I, I was I was convinced that in 2018 was the right moment to to try something different. Even if I still love Formula One, uh, I had other things in my head at, at that time. So you come back with Alpine, and before the season has even started, you have that cycling crash. Yeah. How big a setback was that? Uh, I think at that time it was not a concern um, because quickly the, the doctors said that, you know, I, I will be fine in, within 10 or 12 days after the operation. And, and that was at the beginning of February. So it was not a concern. But uh, looking at how the, the beginning of the season went uh, on my side, I think more time in the car was needed, uh, more time in, in winter uh, period was needed for me in the simulator at the factory. Um, maybe I missed one poor Ricard test with the 2018 car that uh, uh, the team did at the beginning. So, you know, it took me five or six races to get to my 100% this year. Maybe without the accident, that was okay after two or three. So, yeah, it was a setback in a, in a way. Did the crash affect your love of cycling? Are you still cycling like a mad thing? I, I still cycling a lot. Uh, but uh, I would say that, yes, it did change a little bit my approach uh, for, for training daily. Uh, it's not that I'm afraid now of cars, but uh, I try to plan my, my day in a different way. Um, maybe I take the car and I go out of the city 10 kilometers or whatever to a quiet place when, when I know that there are some trails or something to, to cycle a little bit more uh, comfortable there. So, yeah, I, I'm aware that I'm doing things that before I was, I was not even thinking of. And, uh, and I'm a little bit more careful on the bike now. And uh, maybe the Al Kudra cycle path in Dubai, for example. That will be always a nice option, you know, because you are completely alone there and... Uh, the biggest threat you, you may have there is, is a camel or something that uh, it, it comes in your way. But uh, yeah, in, in Europe, you know, the cities in, in Lugano, I had the accident. I, I was living in Lugano. I spent time in Monaco as well. There are cities that, yeah, cars and bicycles are not a good match. When I'm talking about the Alcudra cycle path, I'm talking, I'm referencing a time when you buried me on a bike. <laughs> well <laughs> cycle with one leg when i was really hurting <laughs> are you still so competitive outside of the car that you have to bury whoever is your opposition yes yes that didn't change that hasn't mellowed yeah it didn't change i, I just uh, uh, came from uh, from from mexico between mexico and, and brazil i was uh, with a sponsor with citibank in los cabos in in mexico and um yeah we ended up playing basketball there you know it was one morning we have the basketball court there and uh, we play for a yeah for a friendly match with some Citibank uh, no such thing as a friendly clients. match with Fernando Alonso and it was a lot of physical contact I tell you <laughs> you know it was a lot of uh, a lot of push there for that game we won uh, at the end but it was like uh, the NBA finals you know every everything that I do is, is just on, on on the stream at the Hungaro ring. Ten laps to go. Going out of turn one. Hamilton trying to go around the outside. Here into turn two. Does break later this time. Not late enough. Alonso stays ahead, but this is going to carry on and on towards turn four. This time he's alongside. And I think they might have touched there as well. Hamilton had to back out of it. Alonso. 
Alonso somehow is keeping Hamilton at bay. This is incredible. Let's talk about how long it took you to get up to speed. You say you could have maybe taken a shortcut had you had a little bit more time to prepare this year. What were the issues? Is it all related to tyres? Yeah, I think uh, my issue, I know that there are few drivers that uh, were struggling at the beginning of the year and on, 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 on the cars, uh, especially the people that did change teams, they seem to, to take a little bit longer. I think that that's part of... Uh, of the process of adaptation to a new team, a new car. But I think this year also the front tire construction did change uh, compared to 2020. And that, uh, at least in my case, was the biggest problem, to feel, to feel the front end of the car, uh, to feel where it was the limit of the, of the front end. I'm, I'm a driver that I drive maybe a little bit different with the steering wheel input that is quite extreme at the beginning of the corner. And uh, that gives me the feedback on, on what the car is doing and how much grip I have available. Uh, and if you take me that from my, my hands and, and, my, and my feedback, I'm lost because I don't, I don't know what the car is doing and how much grip I have available. So, yeah, uh, it, was, it was difficult. Why are the Pirellis so much harder than, let's say, the Michelins of back in the day or the Bridgestones? I don't know. I think the evolution of the cars also is a big thing you know we are driving a car that is 130 140 kilos heavier than than back in the 2004 2005 2006 cars so i think that increase on on weight uh, plus the uh, how sophisticated the cars are uh, on the aerodynamic side make you know the stress on the tire a lot higher, so I think Pirelli had had to uh, to develop a product that is is quite robust. You know for the amount of uh, uh, stress that we put in the tires. So yeah, understandably, these tires are are more difficult to drive. But you're always performing to the limit of the tire, right? Whatever era we're talking about. Sure, sure. But uh, I think when you push. The, this kind of tires that they have to be more robust, harder, um, different construction that they keep changing every year because there is always the problem of, of the cars going faster and faster every every year in the high speed corners. The cars are heavier and heavier. So these these changes that they constantly do to the tire, uh, there is a uh, a translation in, in the way you feel the car in, and in the way you need to relearn how to push that tire to the limit. So I think that's that's part of the process of, of uh, being a Formula One driver and try to adapt as quick as you can to, to these changes. All right, let's talk Team Enstone now. Of course, what was Renault uh, is now Alpine. Um, how different is the team today to the one that you last drove for in 2009? Uh, it, is, it is different. I think uh, uh, Formula One did change. There is... Uh, there is like a revolution. Uh, it's a, like a digital era. Uh, also, technology did change. The hybrid uh, power units. Uh, as I said, how sophisticated are the cars now aerodynamically? Uh, is is a night and, and day change on 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 the cars in 2009. So the team did change in in the way they develop different tools. Uh, the facilities are better. I think the 
people at the factory they are clever now and, and they are obviously up to 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 the new standards of formula one um but at the same time in enstone i think still remain uh the same dna on on the people working there with a family environment uh, family spirit and a, and a winning mentality because you know they 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 succeed once and and they want to repeat it you know even if they are not the same people working there you know they are maybe the the son of of some of the people that they were working there there are a, a lot of people you know uh, willing to 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 repeat that success soon does every team have a unique spirit i mean you've raced for four different teams in formula one yeah. each has its own unique way of doing things absolutely yes i think each of each of them has uh, part of the DNA of, of the team. Uh, historically, they, they've been in a uh, racing with a different philosophy. So each of them are, are different. You know, in Renault, as I said, I think you, you find this family environment and, and, and friendly approach. You know, by by everyone in the in Enston and, and Paris. In Ferrari, I think it's a little bit more passional. What, what you see there from the people at the factory. A little bit more chaotic as well because it's part of maybe the the Latin, uh, uh, Italian, Spanish uh, DNA as well. Uh, McLaren is is like a little bit more serious, a little bit more uh, precise everything, but uh, maybe lacking a little bit of communication internally as well. But uh, uh, a very professional environment. Uh, and yeah, e each of them is, is just a little bit different, but they are all uh, finding the limits and, and arriving to the same goal, which is producing the fastest cars uh, possible. And uh, they, are all, they are all stream on, on that. You can't mention those three teams and not talk about Minardi. <laughs> yeah, well, Minardi, I put what it are your on memories the of them? I put it more in the Italian uh, side, you know, it's, it's more like Ferrari. I think uh, what I found in Minardi on, on those days was a very passionate group of people, you know, about Formula One with very uh, little uh, resources at that time and, uh, and quite a changeable environment in, in, in the way that at the beginning of the year it was Minardi, uh, two months before Australia the team was uh, not racing anymore because uh, the lack of of, uh, of funding and, and budget. Then Paul Stoddard came in, saved the team in the last moment, and, and we went uh, to Australia with no winter testing. That was <laughs> the debut that uh, probably it was unthinkable uh, at that time, and, and it is unthinkable now. But uh, yeah, this was this was part of the chaos, but this was part of the the passion you know the italian teams they they put on it and uh and probably at that time it, it was a little bit more normal you mentioned melbourne 2001 isn't it crazy to think that an, another guy making his debut that weekend with you kimi raikkonen you're still battling it out there today fernando alonso and kimi raikkonen go wheel to wheel and raikkonen gets pushed wide and they almost touch and come a cropper at turn one raikkonen and alonso separated by half a millimeter it seemed going through there before alonso had to back out love it what's their combined age 82 is their <laughs> combined age let's hope they never grow up that's great racing when you are in 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 that moment and you make the, your debut 
you don't have a clear uh, idea of what the future will bring uh, to you. Um, obviously, we had both a fantastic time in Formula One. We both won a championship, which maybe in 2001 we were not sure of uh, that success at that moment. But uh, I'm happy to, to share so many years with Kimi. He's a very good character in Formula One and, and we will miss him a lot next year. What will you miss about Kimi? He's very honest. He, he's not uh, playing any games. He's uh, what, what, uh, what you see, you know, and, uh, and uh, a part of this maybe, I don't know, mask that we see from, from him, you know, of being very cold and, and, and not uh, talking too much and things like that. There is a, a different person, I think, inside, you know, that we see from not time to time. Man. Not the Iceman. I think he's quite warm, you know, inside. Even if if you need to meet him and maybe you need to see him outside of racing as well is, is where you see maybe the real Kimi. What is the relationship like with someone like him? Do you actually have a laugh about races you've had together, battles you've had? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. You know, we, we meet sometimes in the airports, um, outside the paddock, in restaurants, uh, Parting sometime, you know. He's one of the guys you look forward to seeing. Yeah, especially yeah after the races, you know. I, he's one of the guys that, uh, as I said, you can talk honestly, you know, with on different topics, and uh, and he's he's straight into the point, you know. And and, and I share a lot of uh, his, you know, uh, ideas and his uh, thoughts, you know, about Formula One and about uh, in a way what this world that we live here is, is like a bubble, you know, and not a real uh, life, you know. We have all these facilities here, we have all this uh, easy life, you know, we travel in, in, in good planes, we are in five-star hotels, we, we have all the, the help from everyone, but on Sunday night, we are normal people, you know, and we... We, we we tend to to laugh you know about uh how fake sometimes the, this world becomes you know you say you have an easy life but has formula one cost you in ways that you didn't expect when you started out i would say yes but uh not clear on on if i go in detail what i missed or what it cost uh, on my normal life I, I will not be able to say exactly what what I missed or what I what I lost. Uh, for sure, when you are uh, in in the paddock, when you are 19, and now I'm 40, uh, I'm sure I lost few things in life. And uh, obviously, you are away from your family for most of your life and and friends, and maybe you lose some of them. But when you enter here, you you are just living living a dream that you started when when you were a go kart driver and you aimed to become a Formula One driver. Then you arrive here and and you are you are ready to sacrifice whatever it, it comes with with that dream. But because we didn't have a normal life, even from 10 years old or 12 years old, we've been racing internationally in go karts, etc. We don't know exactly what what it means to have a normal life, so we, we don't miss much. You had a glimpse, though, in the the two years you were away from Formula One. Not really, because <laughs> uh, I tell you, those two years they were so 
intense. You know, I really? Was, I was changing cars every weekend. I was driving for Toyota in the World Endurance Championship, but the following week I was in in Doha with the Dakar car, uh, surfing the, the dunes, learning how to drive in sun. And then uh, the following week I was in Indianapolis with the oval racing. And this was a very, very intense uh, two years switching cars and, and, and always having a steering wheel on my hands. So again, I didn't have a, a normal life, let, let's call it. Fernando, when you look at your record, two world championships, 32 wins, hopefully and counting, does your talent deserve more than that? Um, no, I don't think so. I think, um, you know, you, you, you get what you deserve. Um, there are a couple of examples that maybe you could say that uh, something is unfair. Uh, in the way that maybe some people win championships or win races that arguably you know maybe there are better people on the grid uh, but you will never know that because we are all in different cars uh, and, and vice versa there are many talented drivers that uh, as i said before they, they didn't even get to formula one and this is unfair you know because i race with many many drivers in in younger categories that they've been outstanding and, and they won you know many championships in go-karts in formula three in other categories and they, they never had the chance to drive a formula one car and same here now on the grid you know we have 20 amazing drivers that maybe 90 percent of them they will never win a race in their career in formula one and this is unfair because they, they deserve for sure so when i think on, on my career and uh, i had the the luck to to win two championships and when I think of my career I put as well the Le Mans, Daytona, the World Endurance Championship, World uh, Karting Championship. I, I see myself with more than than what I dream of, you know, when I started my career. So uh, I, I will never consider unfair or, or unlucky, you know, my, my results. By my reckoning, You've only driven the best car once in your career, and I'm thinking 2007. Would you agree with that? No, 2018-19 in Toyota. Okay, fine. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> that was the best car in yes. WEC. Uh, in F1? In F1, I think I drove the best car three times, probably. I would say the first half of 2005, and then Kimi and McLaren, they were faster, okay but they didn't have the real ability. I think in 2006, the first half of the championship or the first six to seven races, I think we had the best car. And then, okay, Ferrari and, and maybe Bridgestone, not only Ferrari, they, they, they came with a, with a very fast package. And 2007, I think it was quite even. It was up and down. I don't think that we had a clear, faster car some races yeah mclaren was faster some races ferrari and yeah those those three years i think in formula one we had a, a very good opportunity to win championships we we took two or three so it's okay 
and to win the championship as you did two years in a row as perceived as the underdog did that give it even more pleasure to you in the team no i don't think that it changed you know how much joy or how much you know happiness and proudness give you a championship it doesn't matter if you are the favorite or if you are um, not within within the contenders i think the the biggest thing for us was uh first in 2005 to win a championship that we didn't expect because it's true that renault was was a team that it was getting better and better but not to the point that uh, we we could fight for the championship so that was a, a fantastic surprise and this is the first one so it gives you uh, a double double uh, happiness and the second i think the biggest thing was was to fight with michael Fernando, what an absolutely blistering last 12 laps of the race. Michael Schumacher, one and a half seconds behind you as he came out from that last pit stop. Probably one of the best fights I, I had. I knew that Michael was more than one second faster than me. I was doing my maximum. I tried. We got very close uh, in a couple of corners. But, uh, I mean, he did a great race and he didn't do mistakes and that's why he won the race and I got second. Honestly, 2005, the value of the championship or, or how we felt at that time, it was, it was fantastic because we were racing against the legend, you know, against Michael, against Ferrari. Uh, Michael decided to stop racing in Monza. At the end of this year, I've decided together with the team that I'm uh, going to retire from, from racing. I think it is very easy what is my mindset. 100% focus for the constructor and the driver's championship. From that moment, it was a very intense battle, you know, and even in Brazil, we, we fought for the championship and uh, before starting the race, we were shaking hands with Michael and wishing him the best luck on the next chapter in life. Uh, but we're still racing for the championship. So it was a mix of emotions there and uh, and that was a special time. Did he bring out the best in you? Absolutely. I think Michael was, was for me, the biggest rival that I consider on, on my career. Uh, as a, like a teacher, you know, for me in, in many ways. Because I was young, I was coming into Formula 1. I found myself uh, fighting for a world championship that maybe I was not ready at that point to fight for, for such a big thing. And I had alongside you know uh, michael with all his knowledge and uh, and and his approach never giving up uh, always performing something special because i remember some races the renault was was a better car or, or we we thought that we had an advantage on the tires or on on the package itself that weekend and then we went into qualifying and you know, you're happy. They tell you in the radio that you are on pole position. You more or less expected that. 
and then you go to the scales, you know, in part for me, you look the the screen and Michael was second. You know, how that was possible. You know, you came into qualifying thinking that that was a good weekend to to stretch a little bit the advantage on the championship, but yeah, even on a bad weekend, Michael was second. So it was it was unbelievable, you know, the the the, the performance that he still, you know, putting that out, you know, in in a in a non-competitive weekend, he he was he was uh, you know playing magic sometimes. Just watching you describe Michael like that, I'm looking at looking at you, and I can see the the respect on your face. But has anyone else brought out? the best in Fernando Alonso. Who, who else, which of the other rivals have you enjoyed battling and, and had the utmost respect for? For sure, you know, all the champions of, of my generation. I think Luis, uh, I think with Luis, we didn't have, let's say, the the competition that I was looking for. It's true that in 2007, we, we shared the team and that's for, for the general people, you know, the, the biggest fight you could have but in 2007 I think we both were not ready understandably he was not maybe ready for the fight because he was a rookie and coming into Formula 1 and I was you know not not performing at my best not really integrated with the team and for sure we had all the fights together and all the stress together to fight for the championship and we were not well managed at that time and, and all the 2007 uh, thing that, uh, okay, we, we finished with the same points in the championship, which you could see as a, as a very big fight and uh, even fight. But uh, I think we both could have done better. And then in the, in the following years, I had a better package, I think, in Ferrari than him when he was in McLaren. So we didn't fought really directly. And now when he switched to Mercedes, he had a, a better package and we never had the opportunity again to fight together. So that's, that's a, a missing point in, in my career. But obviously, he, he, he's a legend of the sport. And, uh, and uh, he, again, like Michael, you know, pushed you to the limit, you know, because if you want to beat Luis, uh, you need to perform at your best. And then the other one is Sebastian. Obviously, maybe we didn't have the same package to complete to compete will to will but we still fight for a few championships until the last race and uh, on those championships in 2010 2012 you have to perform at your best if you want to beat let's say a slightly superior red bull package that i i, I think they have in that moment but they have a couple of issues uh, some reliability uh, races as well that they didn't finish and we, we still fight for the championship and, and we have to nail every single weekend to be in that position. So they, they, they are part of my career and they will always be. So I, I respect them a lot. Fernando, your schedule here in Qatar is really busy. So sadly, we're going to have to bring this to an end. But one final question for now is that third world title, if it happens, if it comes your hmm. way... How much fulfillment would that give you? It will mean a lot, for sure. Um, but I don't know. I'm, it's not that you know I'm desperate to 
to to get it and uh, that will will change you know m my whole career or it will change my my way of of seeing the sport you know i'm 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 a competitive person as we as we touched before you know everything <laughs> I, know. I do so i'm 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 really looking forward to to the third championship and i will do you know what is in, in my hands and even more you know in, in the next coming years but uh you know it will mean a lot in, in terms of maybe a, a legacy after my career uh, finishing formula one of how to uh, you know always push to the limit uh, always try to find the excellence on, on things you do uh, having a very high discipline in in the way you do races in the way you approach racing uh, it doesn't matter if you are 19 or if it doesn't matter if you are 42 or 43, you know, it's, it's a, a way of living and a, a full dedication to, to the sport. Uh, that probably is the biggest thing if, if I win the third championship, you know, that, that kind of legacy and message for, for future generations. I'm sensing that if the 22 car is good, you're going to be here beyond 22. Ah, yes, I, I will be. And even if the car is uh, <laughs> not it. so good, but... Uh, yeah, my, my plan is is to stay yeah at least at least two or three years more. Fernando, lovely to see you. Great to chat. Thanks for your time. Thank you. I love talking to Fernando. Of course, there's a lot that we didn't get a chance to talk about this time, but there's still plenty to reflect on in that conversation. How his cycling crash earlier this year delayed his adaptation to the current breed of cars was really interesting, as was his take on his main rivals during his career, and I really got the impression that he's enjoying every moment of this comeback. Fernando, it was great to chat, thanks for your time, and good luck in the remaining two races of the season. As ever, please remember to send in your thoughts and stories on Fernando. Have you met him? Have you seen him race? How highly do you rate him? Let me know. And remember, I'll read out the best ones next week. Which brings me on to what you sent in about Danny Sullivan after last week's episode. Many of you loved hearing from him, and I was taken aback by the number of you who have actually seen him race. John Mallet got in touch with this. When Danny was driving in Formula One, he had a column in Auto Week magazine. I remember reading his column and thinking how cool Danny was to race against Lauda, Prost, Piquet, etc. and then write about it later that night. In one memorable episode, even though he was a lap down after a pit stop issue, he had a tussle with Nicky Lauda and actually passed him on the track. Danny is a wonderful storyteller. Well, he certainly is, John, as are you. Thanks for that little tale. Let's go next to this from James Skoging. The race of champions at Brands in 83 was just fantastic and I was lucky enough to be there, says James. Rosberg was my hero, but he literally shredded his rear tyres trying to hold off Sullivan that day. Well, thanks for getting in touch, James. And for anyone who hasn't seen that race, there's some really good footage of it on YouTube and I strongly recommend you take a look. Next up, how about this from Regis? What a treat this has been. Danny was one of my favourite drivers in the 80s and 90s. Haven't heard from him in a long time, so thank you, Beyond the Grid. And thanks to you, Regis, for getting in touch. And finally, let's hear this from Nathan DeRover. 
I was at the Indy 500 in 1985. I was seven years old and we sat right where Danny spun. It should have been the highlight of my childhood, but as my father never lets me forget, I chose exactly that moment to use the restroom and we missed it. Fortunately, we still saw him win the race. Oh my goodness, Nathan, what a story. Still, it must have been very cool to see the great man win the Indy 500. We got lots more messages. Thank you to everyone who wrote in. We love hearing what you have to say. And please remember to send in your thoughts and stories on Fernando Alonso. Something makes me think we're going to get a lot of interest in that one. But that's it for now. I'll be back next week with another great guest from the world of Formula One. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out.